I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Gerald Turner, who's a professor of pathology at Harvard Medical School and a professor of medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Turner recently joined us for a webinar to discuss the barrier function of the intestine, how the permeability of tight junctions in the gut epithelium is modulated, and the impact of this modulation on homeostasis and health. Let's get right into it. How would you define mucosal immunity? Uh, does it involve short or long-term immunity? You know, you, you could define things a lot of different ways. I think probably the, the first thing to say is that mucosal immunity is, is in the beholder in that if you are looking at responses, current activation status, those are, those are different things. Yeah, it really determines on how you, how you consider it. Because there's also always some mucosal immune function available that's important to development. We know that that immunodeficient people and animals end up being sick. So it really, it's, it's really a rheostat. What is mucosal immunity? Um, how active is it? How long is it active? Those are all factors that you could use to describe it. Uh, the next question is what can intestinal permeability in healthy individuals be attributed to aside from genetic predisposition? Are there diet related factors associated with this phenomena as well? That's a great question. Diet has not been studied. I wouldn't be surprised if diet and or microbiome had some effect. And so that's a possibility. We know, for example, that butyrate increases expression of lots of proteins because it's a um, histone deacetylase inhibitor in vitro and in vivo and is a, nu and is a nutrient source for, for intestinal epithelial cells. In vitro, it certainly increases barrier function. In vivo, there's a little bit of data suggesting that might be true, but I, I think it's relatively weak. But it's also true that many years ago, butyrate suppositories were really effective in people with ulcerative colitis. They just haven't gained uh, more widespread use because butyrate smells bad. So the people did better, but they had fewer friends. Somebody asked, what treatments improve gut barrier and celiac disease? There are none targeted for the immune to the barrier at this time that, that have um, passed any sort of clinical trials. There's one that's experimental. It failed its first round of clinical trials, but I think they're trying again. Other than that, regulating the immune activation by getting rid of gluten is how you can improve, improve the gut barrier and celiac disease. Is it known if pathogens directly disrupt clotin 2 interacting with another clotin 2? Uh, no, that's not known. It is true that some clotin-clotin interactions across cells uh, are disrupted by, by pathogens. For example, clostridium parafringin secretes a toxin that interacts with clotins three and four and causes their removal from the, from the cell surface, but, but nothing's known about clotin two. So what impact on the gut barrier would, would chronic immune activation have? And I think again, as we've seen, it depends on what kind of immune activation. So things like IL-13 and IL-22 would chronically increase clotin two and probably have secondary effects. So Chronically, you have to worry about downstream secondary and tertiary effects. So if you increase clotin 2, now you're going to get more changes. That may increase MLCK and so on. Conversely, if you had sort of a, a, a MLCK-driven, for example, TNF increase chronically, you'd increase permeability. And as we've seen, that alone is sufficient to increase clotin 2 expression. So in chronic situations, you end up with a lot of changes. Does somebody ask, did pH affect regulation of tight junction permeability pathways? We've actually shown that the sodium nutrient co-transport causes activation of the apical sodium hydrogen exchanger, NH3, 
with efflux of hydrogen and absorption of sodium. We think this is a way that the presence of sodium of nutrients drives more sodium absorption, which is our main mechanism of driving water absorption. But it also causes mild cytoplasmic alkalinization, so that those protons leaving the cytoplasm. And that's important in driving that downstream regulation of tight junction permeability and it occurs via activation of, of MAP kinase pathways. Terry Matchin, good, good to hear you, Terry. Rather than having anatomically separate porn leak pathways, might cloud into mediate pore and, and at the same junction site. I, you know, I think Alan Yu and to some, to really Alan Yu has been the pioneer, but also the Fromm Schultzke group in Berlin. And finally, a patch clamp study that we did with Alan, with some help from Alan Yu, shows us that Clon2 is really poor. These are actively gated channels, is what our patch clamp study showed, has carefully mapped the pore. And I think these are clearly different pathways. Declan says, what happens to the MLCK that is removed from the junction in response to divertin? Is it degraded? I think it accumulates in the cytoplasm. We haven't tried washing out divertin to see if it, if it can then go to the membrane after divertin's washed out. I'm sure macrophages, so the next question is what happens to intestinal macrophages when Claudin-2 or MLCK pathways are active? And I'm sure they are activated and part of this. We just haven't looked at that, and I don't think anybody else has. And Mikio Farouz, uh, hi, Mikio, you asks, asks a really, in typical fashion, a very thought-inspiring question. He asks, if increased Claudin-2 is by, induced by cytokine or transgenic expression, is simply added to the tight junction, or does it replace endogenous Claudin's? I don't know if it replaced an endogenous clodons. When we've looked, there doesn't seem to be any change in the transgenic mice. I think the cytokine treatment would be the wrong place to look because cytokines do lots more besides increasing clodon 2 expression. But in the transgenics, we haven't seen changes in other cytokines. But I don't think we've done a really detailed examination of that. We've looked by PCR expression and some immunostaining where there are good antibodies, but that's about it. So I'm, I'm reading the next question, which says, do you think that the mechanism is responsible for injury and described promotion of disease with barrier loss and mediation of immune activation are the same in acute disease? I think that the barrier regulatory pathways are the same. Obviously, the the what I talked about a minute ago about chronic pathways and changes in, in with chronic processes it stands to, is, is true. Uh, there's evidence, they comment that there's evidence of pancreatic enzyme linkage into the intestinal lumen in acute disease and that, uh, and that there's been ins- improved survival with enteral infusion of protease inhibitors. Um, so I, I think that I, I am aware of those data. Uh, I don't think it's clear what's being cut, but clearly uh, there it could be through activation of a protease activated receptor or direct degradation of proteins. Megan Beggs asks a great question about poor pathway regulation during during weaning. You know, I don't really understand. So Claudin-2 does get downregulated after weaning. Claudin-15 takes its place. These are both paracellular cation channels. So one important question would be, why do we need both? And what's different about them? I suspect, uh, just thinking about the physiology, and I have no data, that Claudin-2 might um, be a better Parasitic sodium channel than clonin 15. And so pre-weaning when growth is really rapid and nutrient absorption needs to be really efficient, having more sodium back leak into the lumen is beneficial, but then that gets turned off. An interesting observation is in our clonin 2 knockout adoptive transfer colitis experiments. We saw that clonin 15, when clonin 2 wasn't available to be upregulated during disease, clonin 15 was upregulated, but the mice were still protected. So that doesn't really tell us, it, it doesn't answer the question, but it tells us that Claudin-15 doesn't just substitute for Claudin-2. So there's something more going on. 
I don't, there's a question about the nervous system and neuromediators. I think there's very little known there and that's a really fertile area for investigation. And if anybody wants to look into that, I'll say up front that all the tools I've shown you, I'm more than happy to share with anyone. Uh, there's a question if IL-13 regulates Cassian kinase 2 activity, not that I know. Uh, there's a great question about contractility and I don't know. Contractility could be altered in these experimental models, some of them. We looked at transit rate in clonin 2 knockouts and transgenics and in grossly it's not affected. The question, there's a question about protecting barrier function from tumor necrosis factor and MLCK inhibition would be a way. We can't do MLCK enzymatic inhibition in vivo because MLCK is the same in smooth muscle. The catalytic domain of MLCK is the same in smooth muscle. MLCK has other essential functions in epithelium like migration for wound repair. So just enzymatic inhibition of MLCK would be terribly toxic. But in cell culture, MLCK inhibition reverses tumor necrosis factor induced barrier loss. There's a question about macrophages again, and, and I, I don't have any information on that other than they really cited the kinds that can regulate things. There's a question about if bacterial viral infection can cause increase, causes increased permeability and leads to development of IBD. And there are data showing that after campylobacter infection or salmonella infection, if you do long-term population studies, people who've had a single infection by campylobacter or salmonella have a, have an elevated risk of developing IBD. And I think most people in the field think that that may be a permeability issue as well as transient immune activation. And that that then results in, in sort of getting this process started. I think a lot of us like to think about it as a, as a circular process where increased permeability can increase immune activation, which in turn causes further increases in permeability. When you think about it in a cycle like that, it's a self-amplifying process and it really doesn't matter whether barrier loss or immune activation happen first because they trigger each other. Somebody asked about, I don't know what, and they, they said thinking about NF permeability, gut bacteria, sepsis. I'm not entirely sure I understand the, the, what they're pointing out, but what I would say is that there are data on sepsis, and I would refer you to Craig Coopersmith's work, and I can tell you we're working on a project right now with Craig showing that clonin 2 knockout mice, it's really Craig's work primarily, Clutin 2 knockout mice are protected from sepsis. So there clearly is something going on here. And I'll mention again that Clutin 15 accommodates water and sodium, just like Clutin 2, but there's got to be some difference. We, we haven't mentioned single channel events in, in Clutin 15, only in Clutin 2. So I'm, I'm suspecting that that might be the way to get an answer, but that technology is really difficult. So we're actually working on an alternative technology in my lab now that might allow us to make those measurements more easily. Somebody's asking about uh, cirrhosis um, and how that affects clonins and MLCK. It's not clearly worked out, but clearly there have been linkages between gut barrier and cirrhosis. And I refer you to an article uh, about four years ago on CMGH looking at the relationships. There's a couple of them looking at the relationships between mycin lysine kinase and gut barrier loss and cirrhosis or alcohol liver disease or experimental liver disease. One of them is on, on fatty liver. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.